Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. What are you waiting for? Come on in. This podcast may contain graphic content and strong language. Listener discretion is advised. Merry Christmas, Honda. Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas to you. Oh, that's the wrong song, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. Feliz Navidad. Feliz Navidad. How many listeners do you think are left? (laughs) (laughs) Depends on how much eggnog they've had. Oh. Oh, there might be a lot. We might have a lot of listeners. They might be cranking us up. Welcome to Murder, Mischief, and Moscato, everyone. Bonus episode. Merry Christmas, or whatever day you call this. There are actually 29 holidays during this time of the year based on religion and culture. Do you have a list? I don't. We could wish them all happy, happy whatevers. But for anyone out there who is celebrating whatever special, meaningful time of the year this is for you. Happy holidays to you. I hope that you are with your family. I hope that you are with loved ones. I hope that your time during this holiday season is good. I hope that you feel amazing about yourself. And if you are alone today, because we know a few people who don't have family to spend their holiday with, spend it here with us. We love you. You can join us at our table. It's a really large. Yes. Just keeps getting bigger. Yes. And everyone is welcome. I'm Mary Swartz. And I'm Hannah <clears throat> So as with every single bonus, bonus episode that we do like this. Tasting. We are, we are doing a cider tasting. Although Woo! we've changed it up a little bit this time. No, not on purpose. I bought what I thought were some ciders that we hadn't tasted yet and discovered they're actually hard seltzers. Okay, so what's our first one we're kicking up with? So this is a new brand that we've never tried before, but it is a Michigan brand. It got a little kitty on it. Where does it come from? Well, I'm going to tell you. This is called Tabby Craft. All right. Uh, it is the Paw Paw Pineapple Hard Seltzer. Paw Paw is a fruit. It grows here in Michigan. It grows a couple other places, too. Um, I had not actually thought about that, honestly. So this comes from Ferndale, Michigan. I just want to read this to you. The can says, contains 106 calories, zero actual cats. Well, thank fucking God. I don't want to be picking fur out of my teeth. Featuring Nibbles and human servant Amy Schumacher. So 
So there you go. This is actually not a new company because when I flip it over and I read it, it is produced and canned by Bee Nectar. You know what? They look like their labels. Like they yes. have the same coloration. Yes. They've just named it Tabby Craft. Yes. So apparently their, their, their seltzers are going to be called Tabby Craft. That's kind of cool. It's really, it's good. It's really good. It's very different. I never had a seltzer I liked before, so I was really hesitant. It is super different, but it has a really unique flavor, and I actually am enjoying this one. Yeah. Yeah, it's a... I don't know how I would even describe it. I don't know. And it has to be the pawpaw that's in it. Possibly, yeah. So this this bonus episode this year for Christmas, we are going to bring you some true-life miracles, like the fact that my cat is still living, breathing... And climbing and all over me and well, my papers. Well, she's not climbing on me, and she's not stuffed and hung on a wall. Her papers now. That's our producer. Oh. Okay. So, real-life miracles. We decided we'd bring you something good, positive. Yeah. Amazing. So, real-life miracles. So, I hope you grab your tissue box before we go any further. Well, while you enjoy your drink, I'm going to start with this one. Okay. This one was a little bit... Rough. Uh, I'm hoping I'm saying his name right. Alesides and Edgar Moreno were brothers who made their living washing windows on the skyscrapers of New York City. I could never do that. Oh, gosh, no. No way. My fear of heights, by the time I'm at the third floor, I'm throwing up. On December 7th, 2007, the brothers made their way up to the roof of a skyscraper that they were scheduled to clean the windows of. Stepping over the roof onto their window washing rig was routine. Their gear is sitting on the top of the roof. They step over the edge onto their rig. They probably, you know, then usually turn around and grab their gear. Yep. Their bucket of water was still sitting up on top of the roof. It's steaming hot. And that's, that is when tragedy struck. Because the cables holding their rig let go. Oh, dear God. Edgar went down first. 47 stories. Oh, my God. Like, did it tip and he slid off? The whole thing eventually ended up coming down. Oh uh, but, yes, one the, the cable on God. the left-hand side went first. Uh, it was 473 feet. Edgar died on impact. <clears throat> when he hit the ground, they estimate that his body was moving at 120 oh miles God. per hour. You, you, you're not going to survive that. No. No, you're not. Elsides fell after Edgar. He actually fell with the scaffolding. When the first responders got to the scene, they were amazed to find that Elsides was still alive. Um, yeah. I imagine that they... Oh. They moved him very, very carefully, very, very slowly. Jesus. And then rushed him to the nearest trauma center. It was a Presbyterian hospital. You don't expect them to make it anyway. Oh, no. So kudos to them for, you know, not assuming that he was just going to die and being rough with him and getting in there super fast. He was in critical condition. He had suffered injuries to his brain, his spine, his chest, and his abdomen. Oh, dear God. He had broken bones in both of his legs, his right arm, and his ribs. He had suffered severe blood loss requiring 24 pints of blood. Oh, my God. He was placed into a medically induced coma. Mm-hmm. The doctor's... It's probably the first thing they did. The doctors were not optimistic. Oh, God, no. How could you be? Elsides woke up on Christmas Day with his (gasps) wife sitting by his side. Oh, my God. 
He has done interviews. I've seen interviews and oh pictures. Oh, my God. That is fucking amazing. <laughs> right? That is, like, beyond amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when they went up to the roof, like, the first responders and stuff. Yeah. The bucket of water was still sitting on top of the roof. It was still steaming. I can't even. I can't even fathom what goes through your head. I just, I don't even want to try. I don't want to try. Isn't that oh, insane? That is fucking insane. Yeah. All right. All right. At the Spanish Fork River in Utah, police officers who came to the rescue of an 18-month-old trapped in a submerged car for hours cannot explain a mystery voice that they heard calling for help. It felt, this is a quote, it felt like I could hear somebody telling me, I need help. It was very surreal, more than one officer told the local television station. Another officer said that when he and other officers entered the frigid waters, Heading towards the vehicle, all they heard was an adult female voice saying, help me, help me. The officers were on the scene hours after 25-year-old Lynn Grossbeck, the baby's mother, had died. The baby, Lily Grossbeck, survived. She was unconscious, hanging upside down in her car seat when officers arrived on the scene. Police believed that the baby... The baby was dangling upside down, but above the water in the submerged car for as many as 14 hours. Oh, my God. She'd survive without food or water in frigid temperatures. The water was so cold that seven of the emergency responders were treated for hypothermia. Oh, my God. Police saved the baby by forming a line, and they passed her hand to hand after they cut her out of her car seat until the guy on the ground, the, 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 the uh, shore... Reached, you know, he received her and he ran for the ambulance. Yeah. The one thing that puzzles and continues to puzzle everyone, everyone who responded, because they all heard someone calling. Wow. All of them. Officer Jared Warner said, we got in together, we've talked about it. We could say, yeah, we heard somebody inside the car saying, help, help, help me. We're not sure where the voice came from because the mother had been dead. Police weren't sure what caused the crash. It was believed to have occurred around 10.30 p.m. on March 6th, but the vehicle wasn't located until a fisherman spotted it around noon the next day. In a later update, it was reported that officers found a small bag of marijuana, an unmarked pill bottle containing tramadol, and a syringe still inside its packaging inside the car after it was pulled from the river. And when I, and when I did this, toxicology reports hadn't been finished. So, wow. And I don't really think that that matters with this story. Lily spent... Four days in the hospital, and according to her father, when she was released to go home, was singing, the wheels on the bus go round and round, and no more monkeys on the bed. <laughs> oh, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, and it's really not known why the car didn't actually submerge all the way. It was upside down. That is crazy. All right. <clears throat> 2016. Fort McMurray, Alberta, Canada, was devastated by a wildfire that had ravaged the town. It had leveled 2,500 homes, and it had left 100,000 people displaced. WestJet, which is an airline company, wanted to do something to help make a difference. The company has close ties with the town. WestJet set up a, a, what they called a snowflake soiree for everyone in the town. Gifts were provided. Singer Johnny Reed gave a live performance. Santa appeared. <laughs> but the gifts weren't all just impersonal gifts that would be generic and would work for people who had been displaced from their homes. 
Employees of WestJet went above and beyond. They went out of their way to make sure that there were gifts that would bring personal joy to the people who received them. Some of the employees even donated items from their own personal possessions and collections that they knew people would cherish, such as the employee who donated Harry Potter items from her own collection to someone who had lost their home who was a huge Harry Potter fan. Wow. Like that person had lost their entire collection of Harry Potter books and everything. And and this employee took possessions of their own out of their own Harry Potter collection to give to this person. Yeah. The company, one of the vice presidents said, this year we wanted Christmas to mean a little bit more. Sounds like it did. You know, they could have just thrown money at the town. They could have done a lot of things. Yeah. But it wasn't just the company. It was the employees. That's the kind of company that would make you proud to work for them. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. That's the kind of company that makes you go, the world is not full of assholes. Yeah. There are really good people out there. Yep. And sometimes we forget that. Yes, we do. Vesna Volovic was born on January 3rd of 1950 in Belgrade. Father was a businessman. Mom was a fitness instructor. Not really knowing what she wanted to do with her life. She went to attend the university in UK to improve her English language skills. Okay. And after university, she returned to her parents' home in Belgrade. She's still kind of undecided on what she wants to do. Okay. Until the day that one of her friends stopped by, still in her uniform. And Vesna knew what she wanted to do with her life. Because her friend looked so nice in her uniform and she got to travel all over the world. So in 1971, Vesna got herself a job with JAT, or the Yugoslavensky Aerotransport, okay. as an air hostess. We call them flight attendants, stewardesses. Right. JAT Flight 367 was on its way to Denmark on the morning of January 25th of 1972. It was starting in Stockholm, stopping in Belgrade, Copenhagen, and Zagreb. She was not scheduled to work the flight, but someone mistook her for another air hostess with the same first name. So there she was in Denmark. She got to spend the entire afternoon and the following morning exploring a city she'd never been to. Flight 367 departed the terminal at 1.30 p.m. on January 26, made a stopover in Copenhagen at 2.30, allowing passengers to exit the plane, stretch their legs while the plane refueled. Flight 367 departed Copenhagen with all on board, except one passenger who had checked his luggage at 3.15 and hadn't made it back. There were 29 passengers and crew on board. Exactly 16 minutes later, an explosion tore through the baggage compartment, literally tearing the small aircraft apart, with bits and pieces of the plane raining down upon the small village below them. When the plane blew apart, six Point three one miles from the earth, the cabin de- depressurized, blowing passengers and crew alike in all directions to their death. Inside the fuselage, which had landed separately from the plane, was a food cart. Pinned in the fuselage by the food cart was Vesna Volovic. She had passed out from low blood pressure, but she was alive. She was the only person to survive the explosion and the crash of Flight 367. And probably because she passed out and was pinned is the only reason she survived. They figured if she hadn't been passed out, she'd have reacted differently. Yep. Following the crash, 
Vesta spent days in a coma. Having fractured her skull, suffered a cerebral hemorrhage. She suffered two broken legs, three broken vertebrae, one of which was crushed completely. Her pelvis was fractured. Several ribs were broken. Her injuries resulted in her being temporarily paralyzed below the waist. I'm amazed, which doesn't even, like, describe it, that that's all. Yeah, she's been doing it for Vesna had total amnesia from the hour preceding her fall until a month afterwards. She lost that much time. Her parents told her um, about two weeks after the crash that it occurred, and she had fainted upon being shown a newspaper headline by her doctor. They had a tranquilizer. The last thing she remembered was getting pa- greeting the passengers as they boarded the plane. The next thing she remembered was seeing her parents in her hospital room an entire month after the crash. She underwent several operations to restore her movement. At first, she could only move her left leg, and a month later, she was able to move her right leg. Her parents had to sell both of their cars to help pay for her treatment. Oh, my God. Within 10 months of her fall, she had regained the ability to walk, but she still lived for the rest of her life, her spine permanently twisted. She did go back to working with the airline. She did eventually resume her air hostess duties. Oh, my gosh. I can't even imagine. She told reporters that she didn't think of her fall every single day, but she admitted she struggled with survivor's guilt. In December 2016, Vesna's friends became concerned for her well-being after she abruptly stopped answering telephone calls. And on the 23rd of December, locksmiths discovered her body in her apartment after forcing open the door. Now, her friends said that she had struggled with heart ailments in the years leading up to her death. I didn't see anything that was the cause of her death. But 6.31 miles she fell. Mm. I can't even. No. Can't even. It's crazy. It's, yeah, it's past crazy. Christmas Eve, 1931. Ed and Julia Stewart were the only residents of Superior, Arizona. For anybody who's familiar with Arizona, Superior is still a very, very tiny, tiny town with very few residents. I would call too tiny. Out in the middle of nowhere. Like, it really, it's really not much of anything. Okay. They lived there with their dachshund. Apparently, he was a little cranky. Dachshunds can be, though. They were driving through the Arizona desert when they got a flat tire. Ed got busy changing the tire, and Julia began to wander around a bit while she waited for Ed to finish the job. Right. Well, that's what we do as wives. Well, it's 1931 also. Oh, yeah. Tire changing wasn't it easy. No. She's probably in a dress and heels. Probably. Her hair's done up all night. It's Christmas Eve. Probably. yeah. Julia came across an old hat box that had been abandoned in the desert. Seemed really out of place. Yeah. So she investigated. She was startled to find that the hat box was not empty. The hat box contained a newborn baby girl. (gasps) The stewards took the hat box and the baby to the police. She could be taken care of properly. The baby was put up for adoption. So... 17 couples actually uh, applied to adopt what they were calling the hat box baby. But there was bad weather the day of the hearing. So only two couples actually made it to court. Oh my God. One of the couples adopted her. They named her Sharon. Sharon grew up and had a career in the aerospace industry. Oh my God. That's fucking awesome. You're talking the 50s when women, women weren't part of that. And that right there is a Christmas miracle. In Jesus. every possible fucking way. Oh, my God, yes. That was, oh, my God, that was awesome. That was awesome. 
Had they not gotten that flat tire right where they did? Right. Had they just taken the baby home with them? Nobody in their town would have known any different. That is true. There's so many things that could have gone differently. Yeah. Leave her. I believe her. Fuck puts a baby in a hat box. I believe her grown up name was Sharon Evans. Yeah. She um, went on to have a career in the aerospace industry back when that was not a women's world. All right, we are on to our next tasting. Um, this comes from Long Road Distillers. Um, that is, where are they located? Oh, Grand Rapids, Michigan. I was going to say, I think they're local. Yep, they are. They're a Grand Rapids, Michigan company. Because we've never seen them. I don't think we've ever seen them outside of Michigan, and there's not a lot of places you can get them in Michigan. No. Like, Myers doesn't carry them. No, we have to be really fortunate we carry it at work because it's a really, really popular high-demand item. Um, I actually tried this at a 4th of July party at one of my husband's relatives and was so fucking impressed with it. It's like, oh, Hannah, you got to try these. So they have a couple of them. One of them's a lavender lemonade, which unfortunately has vodka in it, so I can't try that one. But this one is a rosemary gin fizz. Oh, it's so good. Which is gin, rosemary, grapefruit, and lemon. So good. It smells amazing. I haven't even tried it yet. Well, give it a shot. But I do like the fact that their can says, give a damn, recycle. Hell yeah, which we do. Oh, man, this smells delicious. Yeah. If you are in Michigan, you've got to try these. Oh. Isn't that amazing? That's lovely. That passes lovely, honey. Oh. That goes down real smooth. Yeah. I can't wait to see when we go to the Christmas party what we're mm. having. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Yeah, there was like a whole cooler full of shit. Yum. Take whatever you want. Okay. Bring bring something home for us for the podcast. Ah! There's extra. Oh. I did last year. Mm. Okay. Uh, this story comes from the Florida Times Union. Okay. Rescue workers didn't see him. Nobody did. They couldn't hear the little dog either. He was starving. He was dehydrated. He was too weak to even whine. He was buried, trapped in the rubble, under a broken air conditioner, among piles of debris that lay... Sad testament to the strength of the current, the Category 5 hurricane that in September of 2015 virtually destroyed Marsh Harbor. There were still people to be found. Possible survivors of the 600 still missing. In the midst of such widespread and heartbreaking loss, the needs of animals often come last. Yeah, that that happens, unfortunately. Unfortunately, because a lot of times animals are so much better than humans. But against all odds, Friday morning around 9.30 a.m., more than a month, a month after Hurricane Dorian blew through with unprecedented fury, the little dog was found by a drone. Wow. That is amazing. That should never have happened. A month. A month. Workers from Big Dog Ranch Rescue in Loxhatchee Grove waded through broken appliances Sharp nails, glass, I mean, like everything. Everything you can imagine. Until they reached a location where the drone had detected a tiny patch of heat. And they were just in time. There was a dead dog next to him that didn't make it, said the big dog founder, Laurie Simmons, through tears. It was amazing he was still wagging his tail. He was too weak to even stand up. Rescuers picked him up and they rushed him to a makeshift pet trauma unit located Uh, where the Humane Society used to stand. They gave him an antibiotic injection, a bit of water. He was in really bad shape. A few hours later, he arrived at the big dog rescue place, weak but alive. He was silent. He hadn't made a sound. 
He just he just watched with dull eyes the commotion going on around him. And so Miracle was Christianed, surrounded by veterinarians, staff, Simmons, and a whole lot of love. Not long after an IV was secured just above his jaw, he lifted his head and he nibbled a teeny tiny bit of food. And there was not a dry eye in the house. How could there be? Miracle is the 138th dog to be rescued from the Bahamas by Big Dog since Hurricane Dorian. Wow. Twelve flights have brought back 90 dogs, about 40 of which have been reunited with their owners, and about 50 of which are still searching for their forever homes. I'm having a hard time reading this. <laughs> I can't see it. Um... Big Dog is the largest cage-free, no-kill dog rescue shelter in the United States. But even as big as they are, it says that they're not big enough to tackle the immense problems for animals that happens in the Bahamas. Wow. Yeah. Oh, all right. <clears throat> Joe Sarna was a union plumber in Jefferson, Ohio by day. And by night, he was a Christmas tree farmer with a secret. Every year... Starting on December 1st. Normally, I would be, oh, my God. (laughs) This is going to be a good secret, though. I can tell. Every year, starting December 1st, Joe would begin leaving fresh-cut Christmas trees at the front door of every single church in the town. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. He left no notes with them. Just the tree. He swore his own children to secrecy as well. <laughs> Good for him. They all promised to keep his secret. When the pastors or the church members of the various congregations, because obviously Joe belonged to a church, but he didn't just deliver to his church. Right, he delivered to all of them. He delivered to all of them. So when, when the pastors or church members would ask Joe if he knew about the Christmas trees, he would change the subject or he would play dumb and say, what tree? Or I heard about that, but I don't really know. Yep, exactly. He never admitted responsibility. That is the best fucking kind of secret to have. He never admitted any knowledge at all about what they were talking about. (laughs) He once told his own children that when you do a good deed, and then you brag about the good deed. It's not a good deed. It's not a good deed anymore. Nope. You're looking for attention. Joe passed away in 1989. Many church pastors to pay their respects to Joe's family. And many of them told Joe's children that they always knew that Joe (laughs) was their secret Christmas tree angel. Oh. Well, if he's the only one with a tree farm, the chances are really good. I don't know if he was the only one with a tree farm. Right, but chances are really good. I mean, and you can tell a lot about people from their answers, too. Because you and I would be very suspicious. If someone didn't come out and outrightly deny it, because I bet you Joe didn't lie. Nope. Oh, my God. I love that. I do. Nope. He would change the subject. He would say things like, what tree? Wow. Okay. Timothy Lindsay Shattuck, 54, Sydney, Australia, amateur sailor, was rescued by a commercial Mexican fishing boat after drifting in the Pacific Ocean for three months with his dog Bella. Wow. Photos show an emaciated Shattuck wearing a rosary around his neck and a bright smile on his face as he received medical attention shortly after arriving in the Mexican port of Manzillo. Maybe it's Manzillo. I don't know. He said, I'm so grateful I'm alive. He was wearing a hot pink 
tiny hat? I don't know. Oh, toonie hat. He was wearing a hot pink toonie hat, which represented a tuna brand that the fishermen on the boat worked for. Um, they spotted him 1,200 miles from land in his damaged catamaran. Can you even imagine what goes through your head? You're a commercial fisherman, and you're like standing on deck, and all of a sudden you're like, what the hell is that in the water? What the hell is this little tiny boat doing out here? It's too much sun? Yeah. Shattuck and Bella's journey began in April when they set sail from the Mexican port of La Paz with the goal of reaching French Polynesia, which was 3,700 miles away. They were thrown off course when a storm damaged their vessel and knocked out their communication system. The Chizu survived on rainwater, raw fish, and companionship. Shattuck praised Bella, saying she was amazing. She was something else. He also shared how there was a lot to like about the experience. How he enjoyed plunging into the sea for a swim whenever he wanted. How he enjoyed Bella's companionship. She was a comfort to him, even though he truly expected to die. In a bittersweet twist of fate, they were they had to be separated in order for Shattuck to fly home to Australia to be re- reunited with his family. But Bella was adopted by the heroic fisherman who performed the rescue, which is kind of fitting, as Shattuck said, she's kind of a Mexican dog. She just kept following me into the water when I went for a swim. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, because how are you even catching raw fish? Right. But I don't know. God works in mysterious ways. And he's any, he, I'm not, you know, like a religious fanatic by any means. I'm not. And anybody that knows me knows that. But God, whatever you call him, higher power, I don't care. There are things that happen that cannot be explained, that there are just no logical scientific explanations for. Yep. Yeah. So here you go. Here's one of those. Okay. All right. 2.50 a.m. Christmas morning, 2013. The interchange of I-40 and I-35 in Oklahoma City. The weather took a turn for the worse. Dumping freezing rain on the highway and icing it over. Circumstances led to a chain reaction accident that included 21 vehicles with semi-trucks jackknifing and cars slamming into each other. What a fucking mouse. The highway was closed for five hours. Twelve people were taken to the hospital. The Christmas miracle? Not a single one of those people was seriously injured. Which means there were no deaths either. No one died? Oh, my God. And no one was seriously oh injured. Oh, my God. That never happens. Never. That never, ever happens. <sighs> crazy. That's fucking crazy. All right. Tiffany Gilliam had no idea what lay in store for her when she answered a phone call from her husband. He told her that he and their son, Brayden, had been in a four-wheeling accident, and Brayden was severely injured. When she asked him if Brayden would make it, her husband was quiet, terrified. Tiffany dropped to her knees. She began praying for a little boy. After she said amen, she called friends and family, and she asked them to pray too. Her husband greeted her at the hospital with tears streaming down his face. Little Brayden was in terrible shape. His head was caved in on the right side. He had blood coming from his eyes, his ears, his nose, his mouth. His pelvis was shattered, and the doctor said he was bleeding internally. Things did not look hopeful. The doctor's told the parents that Brayden had to be flown to another hospital in Missouri, that he would have better medical care there. However, the doctor also added that nobody was certain that Brayden would even survive the flight. Right. They chose to take the chance. 
and Tiffany was allowed to ride in the helicopter with her son as they raced him to the other hospital. In the air, she prayed. She begged God to heal Braden's little broken body. She said, I told God I knew that Braden was only on loan to me, but I wasn't ready to not be his mommy. And I fully trusted that he would take care of my baby boy. When they finally arrived at the other hospital, things sprung into action. That's what happens. Among the Amidst the hustle and the bustle, Tiffany was taken to a separate room where she just continued to pray. And after about 40 minutes of prayers and tears, a doctor entered the room and he had a look of complete shock on his face. He said, I cannot explain to you what happened. I fully intended to come in here to tell you there was nothing we could do for your son. But instead, I have to tell you that you are very lucky. And Tiffany and her husband were sure to clarify to the doctor that yes, they knew they were blessed. They weren't lucky, they were blessed. They had redone all of the tests, the x-rays. They could not find a single broken bone in Braden's body. His head was no longer caved in. The internal bleeding had stopped. Other than being badly bruised, he was totally healed. And I found this story in multiple places because there were a couple miracle stories that I found that I only found like one place and I couldn't find it anywhere right. else. So, like, I didn't believe them, but I found this one in multiple places. Wow. And I'm not a religious fanatic, but whatever, whoever you choose to call your God, your higher power, sometimes he reaches down and just hands you fucking miracles that are just unbelievable. Wow. Medicine Hat, Alberta, Canada. One day shortly before Christmas break, employees from a local energy company showed up at an elementary school with a truck full of gifts for the children in every single grade. Oh my gosh. Santa appeared <laughs> to pass out the gifts. Oh yay. The employees had chosen to spend every sorry. <clears throat> the employees had chosen to spend ten thousand dollars on the gifts for the children at the school in lieu of having their yearly employee Christmas party. Oh my god, that is so <sighs> they also donated three thousand dollars in cash to fund school development. A true Christmas gift from those with Santa-sized hearts. Oh, my God. It's people like that that make you believe in people again. Oh. All right, here's my last one. Okay. <clears throat> okay. Johnny Register was at his shop Saturday morning at the Antique Market in Jackson, Mississippi. Two men came in and said they wanted to talk to him about coins. He had a coin shop. Okay. So, you know, after talking to him... He retrieved a coin collection. When he returned, he said he found himself looking down the barrel of a gun. He said, I faced this fellow. He had a gun pointed right at my face. He demanded money. One of the men ran towards the door. He said the other one reached over the counter with a pistol. And when he did, put his hand over his face. You know, he's got the gun pointed at his face. Donnie puts his hand in his face. He said he knew they were going to shoot him. The bullet pinged off the side of his head because his wedding band deflected the bullet. Wow. His ring is now dented. It's a little bloody, but he is unharmed. He's been married for 38 years and credits his marriage for saving his life. He said, I knew being married was a good thing. I just didn't know it was that good. Wow. But before we wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year and bid you fond farewell for the rest of the day, leave you with a few Christmas facts. Yeah, this is the next to last episode of the year. I know. Okay. Fact number one. Mistletoe was an ancient sign of fertility and virility, and the Druids 
believed it to be an aphrodisiac. Wow. <laughs> um, my granddaughter loves our little Santa. He's got a little mistletoe on his head. <laughs> she thinks it's really cool. She doesn't know it's But every time she points it out, I say mistletoe is for kisses. And I give her a big kiss. <laughs> Coca-Cola is credited with the modern version of the Jolly Santa. Because prior to Coca-Cola's 1931 campaign, Santa was not a happy, jolly-looking fellow. Oh, wow. Thank you, Coca-Cola, for that shit. Right? Wow. Christmas trees can be traced all the way back to ancient Roman and Egyptians. That's pretty cool. Rudolph began as yep. Montgomery Ward department store promotion in 1939. Cool. 2.4 million copies of the story were distributed that very first year. You left million out. Oh. That is really cool. That's, I mean, like. Yeah, the song didn't come what for year? like. Uh, 1939. Oh my god! Yeah, the story. The story didn't come in, or I mean, the song itself didn't come for a while after that, and then of course, then the movie and things. But that is so cool. Yeah, yeah. That's that's where Rudolph. Thank came you, from. Montgomery Ward. From 1659 to 1681, celebrating Christmas was a crime. The Massachusetts Bay Colony created the penalty for keeping Christmas. The penalty was a fine of five shillings. Oh, my God. So, so the Grinch we know was not the original Grinch. <laughs> no. No, not at all. Jingle Bells was originally a Thanksgiving song. Oh, my goodness. It was originally called One Horse Open Sleigh, and it was by James Lord Pierpont. It was actually renamed Jingle Bells in 1857, which is when it became a Christmas song. God, and it's still like, oh, my God, it's still one of the one of the most popular Christmas songs. Oh, I have a fact about that, too. Oh. We'll get there. Well, these are good facts. Eggnog. Love it. Well, no, I guess it depends on the brand. I think it's disgusting. It depends on the brand. I don't mind, like, eggnog-flavored milkshakes and stuff, but a cup of eggnog, it's the texture. It's disgusting to it, me. Well, you gotta, you gotta buy the stuff that's got the alcohol in it first, because the texture's different. Eggnog. <laughs> <laughs> You're drinking all wrong. Oh, my God. Do I got to teach you how to drink now? Apparently. <laughs> eggnog originated in medieval Britain. It was an upper-class luxury, and it was a holiday drink due to the lack of refrigeration available the rest of the year. Oh, yeah. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Okay. It became popular in the United States and other countries with the general population because of the abundance of farmers and access to cows and chickens. Hence, milk and eggs. If you put whiskey in it, you don't have to refrigerate it. <laughs> <laughs> Silent Night is the most recorded song in history. Since 1978, there has been more than 733 versions of the song copyrighted. Oh my lord. So Jingle Bells, not the winner. Silent night. But I like Jingle Bells better. <laughs> and our last but not least Christmas fact is a PSA for everyone out there. Christmas decorating sends around 15,000 people to the emergency room every year. The most common injuries? Falling off the roof. Falls, cuts, and back injuries. Wow. Yeah. yeah Decorate we- more. 
I mean, decorate less. Drink more. Drink more and enjoy your family. Merry Christmas, everyone. Love you guys so much.